Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with two very special guests who are co-founders and creative directors of storytelling and digital communications company Common Ventures. First, please welcome Jane Burhop. Welcome, Jane. Hi, Darren. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And next, her colleague, James Crawley. Welcome, James. Hello, Darren. Thanks again. So, uh, big year this year for Common Ventures because it's 10 years, a whole decade. Yeah. How's it feeling, Jane? Yeah, a little bit surreal. We've got the fairy bread out and (laughs) (laughs) throwing a party. But, yes, you know, they say you get to like five years and you've made it and then you get to 10 and kind of look around and you're like, oh, what else can we do? Like, exactly. Well, because, James, they say that, you know, if a business survives three years, it's got a good chance of surviving that. Has the past 10 years gone rapidly for you? Oh, I would say yes and no, uh, rapidly in so many ways. Um, and then it's also been a huge slog, as, I, as you know, as I'm sure is would, would be for anyone starting a business. Um, uh, but I very much still feel we're, you know, we're still kids, if you think about it. We're only 10. Right, so we're we're not even a teenager yet. So I still feel like there's plenty to do. Right, plenty of energy, plenty of enthusiasm. But um, like a lot of people come to me and go, "We're thinking of starting an agency," and I tell them, "Look around. It's not like the world is short of advertising agencies." But what was it when you actually got together and started thinking about creating common ventures? What was it that really drove that, James? Well, yeah, you mentioned energy before, which is which is interesting. And, you know, Jane and I were a junior team at a big agency and that was great and lots of fun and we had a great time. Um, and one of the really enlightening things about that is we got to see people 20, 30 years ahead um, in their career all around us. And for some of them, not all of them definitely, but for some of them, I guess the maybe the pessimism had started to, to creep in um, and they were just, they're doing the job and from our end, it didn't look like there was a lot of passion for some of these people. So our very, uh, I guess, ignorant logic probably at that point <laughs> was that how can we engineer a situation in which we retain passion for as long as possible? Um, so it seemed like a good idea to, uh, again, with, with no real idea what we were doing, just kind of give it a crack. Um, because I, I guess fundamentally when you're selling ideas, um, you're only as good as the passion that you have for the job. And if the pessimism creeps in and the passion wanes and wanes and, you know, the ideas are going to suck. So how do we continue to not have ideas that suck, I guess, would be the, the way I'd sum that up. It's interesting, though, um, and, uh, Jane, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, but, you know, when people uh, are in big agencies, creative people especially and strategic people, they sort of like the security of that. Mm. You know, I mean, I imagine stepping out into your own business, even with partners, there's a, a little mm. bit of sense of intrepidation and, and a bit of fear. Does that add to the energy or does it drain the energy from your perspective? Oh, I, I think at the time, to be completely honest, like ignorance was bliss. <laughs> we, yeah, we, as James was saying just before, like we were seeing all these people kind of 
be really pessimistic and and become tainted by an industry that we couldn't believe we were lucky enough to work in. We're like, hang on, we get to go to work every day and sit in a room and think of ideas. And so the jump from like that safety and the confines of, you know, a big global agency to doing our thing um, wasn't that big because of that, oh, we'll just do the same thing but with the four of us and get our own clients. And then, of course, when the reality of that set in, <laughs> we were like, oh, we have to run a business, which is very, very different <laughs> to being a creative team and thinking of ideas and, and selling the dream to clients. So, yes, it was a very steep learning curve, but I think um, at the time we we didn't know what we were getting ourselves in for. Look, I think that's fantastic because, you know, a lot of people – uh, are inclined to, the fear will stop them actually taking that jump. But do you think it's actually improved your sort of abilities as a creative person, having to understand business as well, James? Absolutely. I mean, constraints are one of the best things to drive lateral thinking or ideas or whatever you want to call it, right? Like if you if you have, you know, the worst brief is an open one, as I'm sure many people, you know, would agree. Um, and being a small business and being, a you know, a startup agency 10 years ago with no idea what we were doing, constraints are all you have. Um, so you tend to think of some pretty good stuff, I think. So, yeah, it's really energising. It's like that, uh, what's that saying? Necessity is the mother of invention, you know, that when you start a new business, it's amazing how creative you can become because mm. you lack all of those heavy lifting resources, mm. isn't it? And Absolutely. ignorance as well. Like, and not to be overstated, but, you know, <laughs> Trey Parker and Matt Stone, two very funny, you know, South Park guys and other mm-hmm. things. Um, I remember reading an interview with them and uh, not that I'm at all comparing myself to them because they're amazing, but, the you know, they would never have done South Park now, knowing what they know, but they're so glad that they did. Same thing. I'm not sure I would do this again knowing what I know, but I'm so glad that we did because of what we learned and now where we are. But to do it again now would be, and, you know, maybe that's why, again, the ignorance thing being so early on is, is perfect and the perfect time for that to happen in our circumstance anyway. So energy, enthusiasm, uh, skill, talent uh, overcame the uh, the sort of obstacles that have been in the path over the last 10 years. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, I think so. And what we've also tried to do is make sure that there's longevity in that and that we haven't burnt out and we haven't tried to, I guess, bite off more than we could chew. Um, we've definitely looked at it from a strategic lens and been like, how can we make, like, you know, the good bits about the company and the people we work with and our clients, how can we harness that and continue to do that without becoming, I don't know, <laughs> what, sour? And <laughs> what did you say the other day? We're that. here for a good time and a long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but longevity. And I think, you know, that is... A smarter business decision. I'm not saying it's the right thing for everyone. I mean, you know, you see places that are massive overnight and that's awesome. But for us, growing it in a way where we could continue to retain the passion that we had for it when we were, you know, just teenagers basically trying to figure out that, you know, we could actually get paid to think of things, that's far more valuable than anything for us. Mm. It's interesting when you start your own business, and, and this is from my personal experience, is that you 
can go into it two ways. You know, lots of people that start a business and you say, well, why did you start the business? Oh, to make money. Well, in actual fact, you realise that there's a much bigger opportunity there to create something that's meaningful beyond just another advertising agency. What was the sort of thinking and, and was it from the early days? Because I know I don't think I really had a very clear articulation of our reason for being, our purpose, you might say, until about five years in. You know, it really took that long of operating to get there. But for Common Ventures, what was the, the what's the thinking behind that? Mm. Yeah, and I think ooh, there's been so many iterations of that as well, but defining the purpose. purpose. So it's a work in progress, yeah, <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> but purpose is always lots of different things to different businesses and I think we were very mindful of not labelling ourselves as a purpose-driven agency or a social impact agency because it, it didn't feel core to kind of how, you know, how we wanted to work in the clients. We wanted a bit more diversity. Um, but we have found that what does give us purpose is finding people who are values aligned, whether that's clients or, you know, um, company partners or the team and, and finding out like interesting ways to solve their problems. Excellent. And and from your perspective, James, you know, what, what's purpose mean today then for uh, Common Ventures? Purpose today uh, for us, again, it's finding people who we have a mutual respect for. And I'm not sure if that is a cop-out of an answer, but it is genuinely what drives the decision um, from if we will accept a pitch or whether we're you know, picking someone that's going to join our team. If there isn't that fundamental, um, I guess, mutual respect and value alignment, um, it just doesn't work and it doesn't feel right. And I've been struggling to articulate what that is, I think, for the last, <laughs> you know, several years. <laughs> But it's in there somewhere. I'll give you maybe one example of a, you'd be interested in this, a pitch we were in um, about a year ago and the pitch went quite well um, and at the end um, it was question time and the uh, one of the, the guys who was on the um, on the board asked a question, said, okay, we're gearing up for a very sort of deep uh, question here into the industry or whatever. And the two questions he asked was, um, what brings you to tears and um, who believes most in you? Oh, wow. Right? Which was completely shocking. This was um, mid-COVID. This was maybe 18 months ago, actually. Um, and it brought up all of this stuff and everyone went around the room. We're all sobbing by the end of it. We're all talking <laughs> about how the world's falling apart and what that means and, you know, and, and what brings us, you know, to tears. And it was such a refreshing and great procurement process, quote, unquote, to go through because it just actually got us to understand how each other worked and that is the sort of thing that really you know kind of want makes me want to come back day and day again when you can actually figure out who those people are and try and find a way to work with them on that basis you must have a very interesting uh, recruitment process if to get to understand oh, how people fit in <laughs> so you know jane uh, well, james clearly pointed to you then so and paul <laughs> No, but I'm interested because, you know, we're hearing a lot from the industry and especially mm. the big uh, networks are all going, well, we're committed to diversity mm. and I'm worried or a little cynical that it's a tick-boxing exercise. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so, so how would 
how would you go about and how do you go about recruiting people? How do you find these people? Mm-hmm. And how do you validate that there's actually that alignment and connection? Because it can be very hard. Everyone's on their best behaviour. Yeah, and it is really interesting. Like we're obviously lots of people are recruiting at the, the moment as are we and we get this feedback all the time and we've got it over the past few years is everyone will always be like, oh, your job ad was really creative or it like it made me laugh or it had this like tone of voice in it like because we write them in a creative way to talk to people like they're humans, not like a job ad. And I'm always gobsmacked because I'm like, as creative agencies, how are you being like, these are your skills? These, like, why is it not mm. like, how, can you type in emojis or like, you know, adding a bit more uh, uh, fun to For it. instance, you know, our letter of, and this is all Jane's idea, our letter of offer is <laughs> a letter of awful. Uh, I mean, and why not? For no real reason other than that. <laughs> I mean, Jane and I started working together at uni because we had a similar sense of humour. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's the sort of people we want to be around and it, it, it's just it, it's mm. not really done by design. It's just kind of how it spills and out. <laughs> you have to let us know your preferred cheese <laughs> so that on your first day we can, you know, give you a lump of brie or cheddar or <laughs> <laughs> daffonoir if you're a bit and, fancy. And what, if, what happens if they're lactose intolerant? <laughs> They, well, have had the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they get an O. That could be very shit. That could be very shitty. <laughs> in all sorts Pardon of the ways. Yeah. It's interesting. I often think that um, you know uh, uh, HR and recruitment. They mm. go to those sort of weasel words to actually hide the true meaning of the job that they're offering because who's going to apply for the job that says, yes, it's 40 hours a week but we'll expect you to work 60 Mm. uh, with no Mm. extra pay and you'll be told what to do and (laughs) you'll have to keep timesheets and and so on and so forth because if it was actually a true description of the job, you probably wouldn't get anyone applying for it. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) But the team that, yeah, the team that we kind of have worked with over the past and what we've found is even more so than our clients is if we have people that are values aligned or have that same passion and, um, you know, bogged down in the pessimism of the industry like they send they tend to stick around and and you can form much like better relationships and they enjoy the work Mm. and the creative output so much stronger and you're working with them for like three to four years as opposed to like one to two and Mm. it just makes going to work a lot more enjoyable as well because you like the people you work with (laughs) (laughs) well james isn't there a danger though of building a bubble you know, it's like you end up with a whole lot of people that are just like you. No, that's I mean, great point, Darren. Yeah, there is, I mean, I don't think having a similar sense of humour necessarily means you get the same sort of people. Like there is definitely, and I'm, that's just my way of articulating, you know, what really has been uh, Jane's brainchild really as far as, you know, how we do the recruitment process. But finding alignment on a similar sense of humour can be incredibly diverse. And it can transcend everything. I mean, humour can, I think, in many ways. And depends on the humour. It of depends course. on the humour. If it's culturally based or racially based or then it doesn't go based, down so yeah, well. You're just going to alienate <laughs> everyone that's at the butt of your joke, really. 
That is a good point. We're talking we're, about uh, quick wit here, Darren. <laughs> we're, talk, we're talking about cheese jokes, yeah. I think. You know, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I guess it's a um, it's an energy, really. It's it's less of a oh, it's a very crystal term, isn't it? An energy, <laughs> but you know, it is an energy as opposed to a set of rules. I guess it's a. Well, it really goes to philosophy, doesn't it? The sort of philosophy or beliefs of the person. You know, what do they take seriously? What are they willing to laugh at? Yeah. And I think the people that, I mean, jump in here, Jane, if you disagree, but I think that the people that have have been been attracted to us in our business are people that are willing to laugh at themselves Mm -hmm. and not take themselves all that seriously. I mean, definitely we're on that end of the spectrum, I hope. Uh, and I, I think plenty of the people that work with us are too. But, yeah, that is sometimes how we refer to it. Like we have the ability um, to take the work seriously but not ourselves. Yeah. But that, of course, comes with respect of like what you were saying, diversity and cultural. Um, we're not going to make people the butt of the joke in the office. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the sad part, isn't it, is, you know, you've worked in big agencies and that the culture becomes very much the culture of the senior team. You know, the mm. leadership of the agency actually sets the culture. Mm. And I wonder sometimes, because you hear the industry saying, oh, the, look, the fun's gone out of advertising. Right. I'm wondering if the fun's gone out of the leadership. <laughs> <laughs> Ask us in 10 years. <laughs> well, if Good our, answer. <laughs> if our plan works out, though, right, Jane, you know, and the longevity thing is, is going to work, then, yeah, hopefully we, we can keep it. Yeah, That's the plan because, you know, it, it does, I think it makes business sense too because, as Jane mentioned before, things like retention, longer, less recruiting, uh, things like our client relationships, um, lots of them have, you know, been eight, nine years, which for us seems good. you tell me, you'd know, you'd know better, Darren. But I think there's a real rigour and sense to thinking about it long term as opposed to as much as possible as soon as possible. Mm. Instant gratification, I think. Rubs off pretty quickly. <laughs> you want the payoff now. <laughs> does this, sorry, does this same approach apply to clients? Do, how do you suss out a client that you want to work with or that comes to you? Because I can imagine that uh, you get clients coming in saying, we want you to pitch for our business. Mm-hmm. What's the sort of thinking process that you would go through to assess whether this is something that you want to do? Mm. Awesome. <laughs> another handball there. Yeah. Sorry, no, no, no. I just don't to want to cut you off. It's your project. So I, I was just start talking to, about your project. To use an AFL term, yeah. just a yeah. handball. Yeah, we're Victorian, we get tackle. that one. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, um, the first example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a mix of um, the people and the chemistry, I think, in the room, and we're finding more recently a lot of clients are changing the procurement process so it's not a long 70-page document. With, you know, the RFP. Yes, yes, the request for tender. <laughs> oh, what a dream they are. Um, and it, it is becoming workshop sessions or, or tissue sessions where you get a sense of how people think and how people communicate and how they interact. Um, but for us it's more like making sure that the end result or the problems that we're solving or the work or the the companies that we're working with um, are solving 
real problems that kind of challenge the team. So more recently, we're working with the Australian government on um, an anti-gambling register, which may not have the bells and whistles of, you know, a Ladbroke campaign or those big kind of shiny gambling campaigns, but it means there's much more interesting problems to solve, harder problems to solve, and at the end of the day, you're kind of helping people that may be at risk of problem gambling rather than, you know, tempting people to follow their vices or, you know. So there is a moral judgment here because most advertisers Mm -hmm. would be legal, you know, they're allowed to advertise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there's an ethical question as well Mm -hmm. because, you know, if they came to you, to do something that, you know, mm-hmm. a campaign that you know or felt mm-hmm. wasn't uh, justified, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do you go about that? Well, it's just a really hard question, I guess, what I'm getting at. It's a really hard line in the sand to draw um, because every, every business does have a purpose. It's just, I guess, the question is, does our team believe similarly in, in that purpose and the way, what it's going to do? As you say, they're all legal. There's nothing wrong with them operating from a legal standpoint. But do we believe that it's, you know, something fluffy like good? Yeah. <laughs> and that's really hard to quantify and figure out. So it is on a case-by-case basis. But, you know, the client team and the people that we will be working with is a great yardstick for um, making that decision. So if it was a neutral, someone that um, maybe doesn't cause harm but doesn't necessarily cause good, is it something we would work on? Um, and the decision maybe lies in the people that we would be working with. So you rely on the the sort of collective wisdom of the team as to whether that's something, which, Jane, goes back to your point, which is about building long-term uh, retained relationships with the team because mm-hmm. people want to work on things that they're passionate about. Most definitely. Like we have found that not only can they be honest with us and be like, oh, like I'm uncomfortable about this or I don't want to work on this and we support that and respect that, it allows us um, better relationships with the clients as well where we can ask those really honest questions and be like, is this something you're comfortable with us exploring? Yeah. It's interesting because last century when I was a copywriter, <laughs> uh, I was lucky enough to go to a uh, the Caxtons, which mm-hmm. they probably haven't had for I don't know how long, Mm. but uh, Ray Black gave a speech at the Caxtons about the ethical responsibility of being a creative person Mm. Mm. because we often forget, you know, earlier you talked about coming up with it, getting paid to come up with ideas, Mm. but we have to remember that those ideas, their purpose is to actually persuade people to change their Mm behaviours and that there's a responsibility that goes with that. Mm. That uh, you know, it's the Peter Parker principle. You know, with well, great, great power, power comes great <laughs> responsibility. Do you ever feel that? Oh, I think definitely, mm. definitely, of course. Mm. And you can't not. And especially when we first started working together as a team, and we were selling a dark coloured soft drink to teenagers, and you know, working with big budgets and and there is a a tiny voice inside of your head being like, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea, trying to sell two two two-litre bottles of, you know, soft drink. Yeah, Yeah, sugar, sugar and God God knows what else. 
to, yeah, someone who isn't of the advertising age but we're going to use 3D rendered cartoons and and, mm. and then you're like, oh. <laughs> well, and I think fundamentally, you know, everyone or most people I would say at some point ask themselves if they want to be part of a problem, you know, or a solution. And I was having a chat with um, someone on a film set recently who'd been in the industry for 40 years and had done many, many uh car advertisements and sports uh, betting, you know, ads and his whole career. And he got 40 years through it and he woke up one morning and just said, I've just realised I'm part of the problem and I don't want to be spending my time, which is, you know, the, 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 mo the most time I spend on anything is my job and I want to be putting that towards something I feel good about. And that's so overly simplistic, I know. But you've got to ask yourself that at some point. And for us, I think we just asked it quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, it's very tricky. Uh, I mean, a recent thing we've worked on was the election campaign. Mm -hmm. So we work, uh, worked with an independent candidate um, who in a seat that had been held by one party for, I think, 60-odd, 66 out of 72 years. Um, and we created a campaign that she's won the seat for, which is amazing mm -hmm. and brilliant and such a great way to see the work that you do actually spit out a result in a way that you don't usually see. So, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're, um, the, the speech that you heard, you know, we do have a responsibility, I think, and I'm not saying that's what everyone has to do or should do, but I think that if you're not spending your time doing something that you believe is worthwhile, then why are you doing it in the first place? For the money, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but the money will come, Darren. Money comes. No, no, but isn't that, that's usually the cry, isn't it? Yeah. Why did they do it? For the money. Mm. You know, even when uh, tobacco mm. was was mm. on the nose, legal to sell, mm. but there were all these rules and that yet there were still agencies mm. taking on tobacco clients knowing that part of the job was to push the boundaries of, uh, to get around the legislation. Mm. And yet people were making decisions to work on that. Mm-hmm. You know? So it is a personal it's choice. It's a personal choice, yes. though, isn't it? I'm not going to say that it's bad if people work on that. I mean, that's their decision and that's their their choice. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that we work on that people would say, you know, we work on a lot of alcohol clients um, and we continue to do that. Is that the right thing to do? At the moment we feel like it's okay. Mm -hmm. Is it maybe long-term? I don't know. Mm -hmm. That might change. Mm -hmm. And especially, like, with some of our alcohol clients during COVID when, you know, their sales went up and they became really successful and due to people drinking at home. I, I, I heard it was self-medicating <laughs> because they had to suddenly find out how hard it is to be a teacher by having to teach their mm. children at home. Uh, in fact, I, I saw a couple of memes going around that said, you know, they're surprised that teachers aren't more alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> True, yes. <laughs> but look, the only reason I bring this up, James, is earlier, you know, when we're talking about the purpose of mm. uh, Common Ventures, you said that it's about, you know, doing, well, you didn't say doing good. You said. No, I didn't say. No. Uh, you said it's hard to define. Well, that's it. I'm struggling right now, Darren. Like, <laughs> and that's why I think, I mean, putting a label on what is good, and there are plenty of accreditation systems that do this. It's just never felt right to me because surely it's in the detail. Surely it's in the grey area. Like, and, and it's also completely personal. What you believe is good and what you want to, you know, exert your energy on, you know, adding to. Um, 
So when I don't think mean they can that, define uh, it. Sorry, when you Go say accreditation, it. you mean like the B, yeah, getting B Corp certification exactly. and things like that. Yeah, okay. and I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I think they're great and they allow you to ask yourself some very important questions. But, I mean, I mean, what do you think about B Corp, Darren? Well, uh, we have on our register, we ask agencies if they're B Corp certified because it becomes a shorthand way mm. for clients to then get insights into the sort of philosophy and the ethical uh, behaviour of the agency. Mm. Now, there are so few agencies, it's increasing, but there's so few agencies that have actually become B Corp certified, mm. a handful mm. that we know of. That yeah, you know, and and all of the reports are. It is a rigorous process. Totally. It's a really tough, you know, time-consuming and thorough process. Mm. Does it help them? Well, they've done it for a reason. Whether mm. that's a commercial reason or a personal mm. reason or a philosophical mm. reason, they've done it for a reason. Mm. So we think it's important to report on that. I'm just interested because you know you've created a business. It's clearly about getting together with like-minded people and having, you know, having fun while you're being serious about your client's work. I'm just wondering, well, what, what's the upsides and the downsides for you of that? Yeah, great question. I mean, there are, you know, there is a price to it for sure and there are a lot of perks. I think on the, on the perk side, um, as we've already sort of spoken about, I think the longevity of the business for us is a clear one there uh, and the retention of the team um, is also, you know, good for the business. The, per, uh, the, the price, though, um, and we've definitely seen this, is, and it's a double-edged sword of, of passion, right? So if we're, if we're trying to build something that we can retain passion for over a long time, it means that a lot of the clients that, or projects that we'll work on, there'll be a lot of indebted passion, you know, in that process and all the team will be incredibly invested in it, which is great and it means the ideas are great, but it also means, to be frank, that there's potentially more friction and more pushback from us to maybe a client that just wants to get something done sometimes. And we are there, you know. <laughs> 100 miles an hour. 100 miles an hour, just trying to like uh, fight everything for, for what we believe will be a better outcome for them because it's something we really want to succeed. Mm. But it's been to the detriment of the relationship quite a few times, I think. Mm. And that's definitely a price. I think it's a price we're willing to pay because, again, it allows us to retain the passion. And that's, that's good. Um, but I don't think necessarily it's always the best way to foster a really great relationship, to be frank. Mm. And, Joan, what about you? What have you seen as the, the benefits, the perks and the, uh, and the price? Yeah, I, I definitely think at times we've cared too much. Like what James was saying, that's, that's the price we've paid. Um, so with that, you know, with the... So a passion. Yes. Your passion and commitment to doing a great job has sometimes blindsided us into doing what's best for the client in their, in their eyes or what's asked of us as an agency because we're going so gung-ho at, like, trying to solve the problem um, on our end and potentially not listening, like, as much as we should have or, or taking them on the journey as to, you know, the reasonings behind our thinking. And and it's been a real shame because we've lost, like, some of our favourite clients or, you know, some of those um, those relationships that we have held for several years. And, and so that opportunity to do good or make an impact is, is cut short because of this this relentless kind of um, and it, it may be an expectation that we put on ourselves 
um, because we just want to see the best possible outcome. But that's definitely, yeah, that's definitely something that we're super mindful of going into like relationships moving forward, having learned from those past mistakes. Yeah. Well, you know, we have uh, one of our rules is the no arsehole rule. You know, we, <laughs> we won't work with arseholes, we won't work for arseholes and we won't with, work with arseholes. Now, how you define that is up to you. <laughs> but uh, it, it, like you, it, it's a similar thing, you know, because ultimately there's a belief and a passion for the industry and the power of the industry. But what you don't want to be doing is wasting your time with people that really just want you to do what they ask you to rather than give them the best solution. Is that a similar philosophy that's happening here? Yeah, I think so. And I think sometimes it's really hard because um, there has to be that that mutual trust um, between agency and client. And at the end of the day, they're paying us a substantial amount of money to do the work. So if if there isn't that trust, it's like, well, you're also wasting your money because you're either hand-holding us or telling us what to do or, you know, or we're just executing. We're not actually adding value with rigorous strategic and creative thinking. And that then becomes another moral issue because it's like, well, if you want someone to just, execute or you you know or maybe an in-house creative team is better for you if, if they want that end-to-end control and and aren't looking for recommendations or, or a different sort of point of view so yeah I definitely think that um yes it is it's a balance and it's about finding the right people to work with with similar um similar like attitudes and, and similar wants and needs. But I get from the conversation, Jane, that the real upside for you is that the same approach is creating quite a, a, a strong knit team of people to work with. Yeah, yeah. So that that's the, that's definitely the best, even when it comes to clients. So James and I were talking about this earlier and we've worked with a, a tourism board for seven years and it's got to the point now where we can be like, do you still want to work with us? Like are we still giving you guys new and interesting thoughts because we know that their brand really well, we're quite ingrained like in the knowledge of their strategy and things like that and so we're, there's that concern that we've potentially become too comfortable but because there's that that long trust between our internal team and our clients and partners, we can ask those really honest, open questions. Yeah, and get an honest answer. And, yeah. I mean, luckily that was a good answer <laughs> in, in that particular example, which is great. So it does go both ways. It's interesting that you say about getting too comfortable because, mm. you know, there's a lot of focus in the industry about, you know, making sure you have a good relationship with your clients mm-hmm. And yet a lot of the measures that are then put in place about being a good relationship are more about the client being satisfied with the mm. day-to-day relationship. You know, like, oh, yeah, they're nice people and they do a good job. And, you know, it's all these sort of service delivery type metrics. Yeah. Mm. Whereas I've always felt that the best relationships are the ones built on common respect and trust that allows, yeah, but, well, I actually, not not head-butting so well, much. Arguments, though. <laughs> arguments, though, yeah. I think, for sure. Well, I, I say, you know, I love the idea of the oyster, 
you know, where a little bit of sand gets into the oyster <laughs> and irritates the crap out of it. So what does it make? What does an oyster make when totally. it's irritated? Yeah, it great. makes Delicious. pearls. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. It makes pearls, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I see that as a great metaphor for the types of, mm. if you're talking about good relationships, good relationships should be the ones that make pearls. Absolutely. But they make pearls out of irritation. Yeah. and Not so, out and of just sitting there all agreeing with each exactly. other. Exactly. I mean, it's about, I mean, it's challenging each other, isn't it? I mean, it's like any good relationship, be it a personal relationship or a client, you know, with an agency. If you can't tell someone your opinion that might not be the same as theirs and you can both argue that in a way that's constructive, you're not really getting anywhere. You're mm. just doing what each other is telling each other to do. It's not, uh, it's not a great way to get value out of an agency, really, if, if it's a creative one. I don't think. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> why not? I, I, I agree with very you. Very definitive. <laughs> Too definitive? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, it seems like you have a lot of fun. I imagine if there's anyone uh, that's listening to this looking for a fun agency to work with, they should be calling you, shouldn't they? I, I mean, if they'd like to, Darren, we'd love to hear from them. <laughs> but, look, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, of course it's not all fun. It's incredibly hard work most of the time. But you can still, I think you can do that and still, you know, retain a cheese joke or two every now and then. <laughs> what is it with you and lactose? <laughs> yeah. You know my cheese? <laughs> <laughs> cheese has got quite a few mentions. <laughs> As it's, next you'll be doing the cheese shop sketch <laughs> from Monty Python. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sign us up. <laughs> All right, so um, what, what's in for the future for Common Ventures? Yeah, what do you see? You talked about longevity. Mm. What What's your goal? What would success look like, let's say, over the next five years or ten years? Oh, good question. Um, I think we're now at that point where um, we're really looking to do all the things we've spoken about today, so retain that creative integrity and longevity of the team and our, and our client partnerships, but we are really looking to grow and expand and expand and look at how we can, you know, we're still quite a small agency in, in the scheme of things and quite a small independent. Um, but I think, you know, to be able to work on juicier problems and, and work with bigger clients, there is a real need to kind of hit that grow button, which um, we were in a great position to do a couple of years ago and then COVID and, and things like that. So I think, yeah, the focus for the, the next 10 years is not only keep doing what we're doing and retaining all those things we've spoken about, whether it's fun or just really rigorous creative thinking, um, but seek out um, bigger, bigger problems and bigger opportunities with a variety of interesting clients. Sounds good, James. Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I'd, I'd agree, obviously, with what James saying. I mean, growth is great, right? New, new problems are awesome. Um, the other thing I would probably add is, um, and it's something that's thrown around a bit with with creative agencies, but the side project thing. The hustle. The hustle, right? <laughs> um, and being able to again work in a place where you can do that. Um, so, you know, for instance, at the moment, um, making a film, great. And I work somewhere that will support me to do that. Yeah. Fantastic. 
And that can be, I think, part of that growth for all of it, and obviously not just for myself, but for everyone. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of agencies, when I talk to them, say, oh, yeah, we want to grow. And I go, but at what cost? Mm. And I think that's a really important thing that you need to keep in mind. The number mm. of times that we've seen agencies with really strong cultures, mm. and they have really strong cultures because the founders have defined the culture, mm. but then they've gone for growth at any cost and, you know, won the big client who suddenly is dominating the agency and using up, you know, sucking up everyone's time and suddenly you're having to employ people quickly, not because they're the right people but just because you need someone to do the job. Yeah. And then you turn around one day and you look at the agency and you go, oh, my God, we've become just like everyone else. Everyone's sad, sitting at their desk, <laughs> <laughs> eating their stale sandwiches. <laughs> no, well, yeah. yeah. So, so that's what I'd say to you is that mm. growth is important because it's part of moving forward, but mm -hmm. it always has to be considered at what cost. Absolutely. At what cost are you willing to pay? for that growth mm. and how do you manage it so that it actually becomes positive growth rather than just financial growth. Yeah, and sustainable growth. Like I guess that's what you, you're getting at, right? It's yeah. If it's not sustainable, then it's short term. So, yeah, I mean I would always preference, I don't want to speak for Jane, but I would always preference doing things slower with more consideration and doing it right and being able to keep things like our staff and not burning everyone out. Yeah, That would be, for me, totally the way forward and maybe that doesn't sound ambition ambitious enough I'm not sure but for me it just feels right well you know to have uh, staff that have been with you for almost as long as you've existed mm. yeah is an amazing achievement in yeah. this industry that aren't equity partners by the way yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's called the golden handcuff <laughs> But even like to the point around growth, it doesn't have to be monetary and it doesn't have to be people. It could just be growth of more diverse clients or, you know, like there's, I think, yeah, growth sometimes gets wrapped up and gets a bad rap that it's just linked to the bottom line. Um, mm. But, yeah, you raise a very good point. It's, it's something we're super mindful of that we started off as a strategic and creative agency at it. At our heart, and we want to make sure that that doesn't that doesn't get lost at the cost of growth. Chasing growth. Mm. Yes. Mm. Look, uh, thank you for your time today. It's been great catching up with both of you. Uh, is there uh, anything that you want to add before we finish up? Jeez. No. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favourite cheese, James? Oh, just a straight cheddar man, to be honest, Darren. Cheddar? Nothing fancy. Love, oh. love, love me a good cheddar. Yeah. No, no, that, that, in all honesty. No, 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 oh, no, 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 sorry. No. We'll, we'll play this out. What's your, what's your favourite cheese? Um, goat's cheese. Goat's cheese. Marinated, no, marinated <laughs> in a jar from a town called Meredith, which oh, is just yeah, very nice. 30 minutes away from where I grew up. So if you haven't had it, anyone out there, you can get it at your local local supermarket and it's Delicious. Excellent. Good to hear. <laughs> what about you, Darren? Oh, I'm a straight uh, brie. I love brie. <laughs> a good brie on, uh, on fresh bread. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> I love the cheese deviation. <laughs> <laughs>